All right, I think we're going to get started here. Um, good afternoon, my name is Emily Lundstrom, and I'm a pharmacy practice resident here at The High State University. Uh, my primary practice site is University Health Connection, located over at the College of Pharmacy. Um, I'm, gonna be, I'm here to talk to you about cholesterol in general and talk to you about some of the medications, and then Melissa Kolb is going to take over uh, later on in the presentation to talk about uh, the cl low cholesterol diet. So to give you an overview of what we're going to be covering today, um, I'm going to start by discussing the different types of cholesterol that exist and explain the differences between them. I'm then going to identify the different, um, or what the healthy types of the healthy cholesterol levels are, and then I'll finish up my portion of the presentation by giving you an overview of the different medications that are available to treat abnormal cholesterol levels. Uh, Melissa will then take over and uh, give you some different options for a low cholesterol diet. So we'll start um, by defining what cholesterol is. Um, it's a fat-like waxy substance found in the body. It actually comes from two different sources. It comes from the food that you eat, and it also is naturally produced in the body by the liver. So most of the time you probably hear bad things about cholesterol, but our body actually does need it to function normally. It does carry out uh, many different functions. Um, two of those functions are to make all the cells that make up our tissues and organs, and it's also used to produce some of the hormones that our body makes. However, as most of you know, too much cholesterol is a bad thing. It does um, clog the arteries, which can eventually lead to heart attack and stroke. So there are different types of cholesterol. Um, the first one is the LDL cholesterol, which I like to refer to as the lousy cholesterol or the bad cholesterol, because this is the one that causes most of the problems. Um, HDL cholesterol is what I like to call the happy or helpful cholesterol, because it actually helps to fight the LDL cholesterol, which I'll explain um, on the following slides. The next type are uh, triglycerides, which are a form of fat um, that actually come mostly from the foods that we eat. So out of these types of uh, fats that I just discussed, uh, the most important is the LDL cholesterol. Um, HDL and triglycerides are very important to monitor, but um, the LDL cholesterol is actually the one that has the most um, scientific evidence proving that it does um, increase your risk for heart disease. So what makes it so bad? Um, LDL cholesterol, over time, when there's too much of it um, floating around in the bloodstream, it actually starts to build up on the artery walls, and um, over time, this buildup can decrease blood flow to the heart and eventually lead to a heart attack or stroke. Things that you can do to lower your LDL cholesterol would be to um, diet and go through diet and exercise, and then also most of the medications that I'm going to discuss in a moment do lower your LDL cholesterol. Next is the HDL, or happy cholesterol. And this cholesterol is what we like to refer to as the helpful cholesterol, because it actually works to um, pick up that LDL cholesterol and take it out of your bloodstream to the liver, where it's excreted from the body. So when you're looking at your blood test, or when you're discussing your blood test with your physician, the higher your HDL cholesterol number, the better. Things that you can do to raise your HDL cholesterol include um, exercising and eating, eating properly, and then also some medications can increase your HDL cholesterol. Triglycerides, like I said, are the most common type of fat in the body. Um, they come mostly from the foods that you eat, and on the bottom of this slide I illustrated um, different things that can actually increase your triglycerides. Um, on the left-hand side of the screen there you see a mug of beer. Um, alcohol consumption can increase triglycerides. Um, having a diet too high in carbohydrates, for example, eating too many breads or pastas or donuts can um, increase them. Um, having a um, sedentary lifestyle or not getting any physical activity um, can increase them, along with being overweight. And last but not least, smoking cigarettes can increase your triglycerides. So now I've talked about the fact that we do need cholesterol in our body for it to, to function properly, but too much cholesterol is a bad thing. So what levels of cholesterol are we looking for? Uh, total cholesterol, which is a combination of the HDL and the LDL cholesterol, um, we want that number to be less than 200. As for the triglycerides, we want that to be less than 150. And as for the HDL cholesterol, the happy or good cholesterol, like I said, the higher this number, the better. So we want that number to be greater than 40. As for the LDL or lousy cholesterol, um, this is actually unique. Um, this level is actually decided between you and your health care provider because this level is kind of unique to each patient. 
For example, if you're a patient that has um, a high risk for developing heart disease, for example, if you have diabetes, your LDL goal may be below 100 or it may be below 70. However, if you have no risk factors for heart disease, for example, you're not um, of older age, you're not, um, you don't smoke cigarettes, and you don't have any other family members that um, have had a heart attack or stroke in the past, your goal may be less than 130 or less than 160. So this is something that you would decide between you and your, your physician. Yes? No, just the HDL and the LDL. Um, what if your, if the HDL is really high, wouldn't that make your total cholesterol really high? Well, that's or the thing they're actually studying right now. Um, if they they do take it into account, but it's actually the ratio of the LDL to the HDL cholesterol. So if your HDL cholesterol is high, they'll look at it. They can break it down and look at it to see what's making it high, and then that'll actually um, decrease the LDL cholesterol. If your HDL cholesterol, if you have a whole bunch of risk factors for heart disease and your HDL cholesterol is high, that actually negates an, uh, one of the risk factors. Does that make sense? No? Okay. <laughs> Can I chime in with a numerical example right now? Um, I, as the dietitian sitting here, you might be interested to know, I do have a total cholesterol above 200. My total cholesterol is 207. My HDL cholesterol is 86, and my LDL cholesterol is in the 90s. So total between my HDL and my LDL, they do add up to above 200. But since my HDL is so high, it's a classic example of a, a negative or a, an inverse proportion to the LDL cholesterol being a risk factor. Sorry, go on. Any other questions? Yes? Yes and no. We have to look at it all as a global picture. The ratio is very important to look at the numbers in comparison to one another, but it still is a global picture that we're looking at all of the numbers combined, including the ratio. Okay, I'm now going to, to move into doing an overview of the medications for you. Um, I've listed on this slide the different classes that are available. As you can see, there are quite a few. Um, these medications all work differently in your body to um, work on those abnormal cholesterol levels, and they all um, affect the different types of cholesterol that I just discussed to different degrees. So we'll start with a class of medications called the statins. Most of you are probably familiar with them. They're very popular. Um, I've listed the brand name of them on the left-hand left side of the screen, and then the generic name is in parentheses right beside it. Um, the ones that have a star behind, beside them are actually the ones that are available in generic form, and you can get them, hence, cheaper at your pharmacy. So the statins work in the body. Uh, they actually work at the liver by decreasing the amount of cholesterol that your liver produces. Um, above all the other classes of medications that I'm going to talk about, the LDL cholesterol is the most powerful at decreasing that LDL bad cholesterol. They do have an effect on decreasing the triglycerides, and as for the HDL cholesterol, they can increase it. For the most part, um, these medications are very well tolerated. Um, some patients do experience headache or uh, gastrointestinal side effects such as stomach cramps or gas or constipation. A very small number of patients do experience a side effect that is characterized by muscle pain or weakness. And um, if you would experience this type of side effect on this medication, you would want to make sure that you tell your pharmacist or physician about that right away. Like I said, this is a rare side effect, but something very good for all patients taking the medication to be aware of. Question? Yes. On that, what point you just made, mm -hmm. muscle pain or weakness, um, can they tell that by a blood test, or how, I mean, how do they know how it's affecting There is a blood test that they can use. Um, it's a CK creatinine kinase blood test, but it's, the, it's not definitive for proving that that was the actual side effect that, that was taking place, but they will, they're going to test that level in your body before you go on the medication so they have an idea of where you were at before you took it, and then afterwards... If you do have that side effect, they'll test it again to see if it did definitely increase. Okay. Creatinine kinase. You can talk a little slower, George. Okay, okay, sure thing. Um, patients that are put on these medications are also will be required to um, have their liver function tested throughout, throughout the time period. Um, 
the basic reason is because these medications do work through the liver and we need to make sure that your liver is working properly in order to process the medication. Um, so before you start taking one of these, you'll have your liver tested beforehand and then periodically thereafter. Um, most of these medications do need to be taken um, before you go to bed. The main reason for that is because your liver produces the most cholesterol throughout the night when you're sleeping. Um, two of the medications, Lipitor and Crestor, do not need to be taken um, at bedtime, but all the other ones do. Question. Yes? Um, when you first go on it, about six weeks after you start taking it, you'll have your liver tested. And then you'll have it tested at the six-month period. And as long as there's no abnormal, ab abnormalities, you'll have it tested every year. Yes, most patients, most patients don't, don't, once they're on a statin, they won't, they won't go back off of it. Just because it's, it, this, this class of medications is proven to decrease your risk for developing heart disease. Okay, so Yeah, they probably dropped because of the drug, so if you stop taking the drug, it, it would probably increase. Do they have proof of that, or is this just a drug company telling that people need to stay on? Oh, no, no. It's actually, it's actually proven. This class, the statin class of medications, actually they're doing more studies on them because they're, they're thinking that there's more effects in the body outside of cholesterol. It does decrease um, inflammatory markers in the body, and which, which uh, lead to um, damage in the blood vessels. So... Of, of what they're thinking is that this class of medications is working so well that it's actually going be above and beyond what they originally expected. That class of medications I'll stand behind 100%. <laughs> they're wonderful. <laughs> Any other questions? How much uh, of a difference would it make if you're taking your statin at the wrong time in your test? Do you have any clue? That really depends, depends on the patient. The reason... Um, why you want to take it at bedtime, like I said, is because that's when your liver is producing the most cholesterol. But your liver does produ produce a lot of cholesterol throughout the day. So if you did take it in the morning, you still would have a decrease, but just not as much of a decrease. Okay, the next class of medications are the bile acid binders. And they actually work by binding to bile acid and have their profound effect on decreasing the LDL cholesterol, just like the statins do. Um, they have a slight, um, slight effect on the HDL cholesterol, and as for the triglycerides, they either decrease them or they could actually increase them. So um, it's very important that when you go on these medications, you continue to, continue to have your cholesterol levels tested to make sure that the medications are working properly. Um, the two medications on the top there, Questran and Colistid, are actually available in powder form. So these medications can actually be mixed with juice or water or your food when you take them. Um, yes? Can you get those in non-powder form? Because I've got the cholesterol and I do. The colistid you can get in tablet, and then the bottom one just comes in tablet form. These medications, because they work by binding to bile acid, um, they can uh, bind to other things such as other medications. So if you're taking another medication, such as a blood pressure medication, you want to make sure that you don't take it one hour before or four to six hours after taking one of these. Slide. So what was that again? The bile acid. That's like an important point. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'll try to slow down. You're, fine. Um, you're on blood pressure medication. If you're on any type of medication, these medications work by binding to bile acid. So if you're on any type of medication, whether it be blood pressure or another cholesterol medication or a potassium um, medication, you would want to make sure that you do not take them within one hour before taking one of the, either the question and the colistid or well call or four to six hours after you took it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I have an elderly friend who's got issues with all this. That's why I'm trying to get this straight. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure thing. And like I said, side effects of these medications include uh, constipation, nausea, and gas, which can be diminished by taking them with food. The next drug that I'm going to discuss is niacin, or um, vitamin B3. Um, this particular medication is very good at increasing your HDL good cholesterol. Um, as for the triglycerides, it does a very good job of also <coughs> decreasing them. Um, the LDL cholesterol um, is decreased by this, me this medication, but not to the extent of the first two classes of medications I just discussed. 
Um, this medication um, is known for causing a flushing or itching side effect. A majority of patients that do go on this will experience um, that. The main, um, main way that we kind of combat that is um, having patients slowly increase their dose over time. So they'll start on a low dose three times a day, and then the next, day, or then the next week we'll increase them up a little bit further. So we slowly increase their, time, their, medic, their, their dose over time, which seems to help um, with their flushing. Question. Yes? What is the milligram that you would take of, say, an over-the-counter niacin? Usually it just says take one tablet a day on just a regular dose. But if you're taking it for this, do you take more than that? More than just one tablet a day? Um, the specific dose, I have to get back to you on the specific dose, but I know that it's, I think it's around 40, 40 grams. Um, with niacin, I, my name is Chris Green, by the way. I'm a pharmacist that works with both Melissa and Emily. Um, the typical dose with niacin you can see is between 2 and 3 grams okay. for treatment of cholesterol. The problem with doing that on your own, though, is it still requires some monitoring. Um, so I would consider if you're going to do something like that, you still want your doctor to monitor you on that. And they want to check your liver tests and things of that nature, too, for safety. Does the, are you so. saying the niacin also then affects the liver as it well? It can. It can. Um, because of that... Patients that we start on it, we typically monitor their liver the same way we monitor statins. Now, not every, not every physician or nurse practitioner would do that the same way, but it's still something that if you're going to take niacin, especially since it is over the counter, you want to be monitored to make sure you have an agreement with your primary care provider to monitor you appropriately. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you could cause harm when you're trying to help yourself. So, yeah, the regular vitamin dosage probably won't do much for your cholesterol. Mm -hmm. um, might give you a little energy. But <laughs> They can combine it with it, but that, like, like Chris was saying, um, this this drug can, if you're if you combine it with a statin, it can cause that muscle aching that I was talking about. So that would be something that you definitely want to talk to your physician about before going on. They have used it in combination. You just have to watch a little bit closer. Um, the first two products are actually available by prescription only, and like you were discussing, the last one is available over the counter. And to f f further reiterate the fact that you do need to tell your physician or pharmacist if you are taking it because um, you do need to get your liver tested, and then also if you have diabetes or um, a disease called gout, you would want to make sure that your doctor knew about that because that medication can actually make those diseases worse. The next class of medications are the fibric acids. Um, these medications are very well known for being able to decrease the triglycerides. Um, they do have a slight effect on increasing the HDL cholesterol. As for the LDL cholesterol, they either decrease it or they can actually sometimes in some cases increase it. So like I said before, you do need to continue to have your cholesterol levels tested while taking any of these medications. Um, they can cause upset stomach such as nausea, diarrhea, or constipation. So they do need to be taken with food. Um, like the statins, the, these medications can cause that rare side effect characterized by muscle pain or weakness. So once again, if you're taking this medication and you feel that muscle pain or weakness, uh, you'd want to tell your physician about it right away. Um, Triglide, the medication over there on the right-hand side of the screen, is actually a, diff a new formulation of Trigor that's Tricor that is actually available that you don't have to take with food. It actually has um, decreased um, side effects within, within the stomach. The next class of medications are um, the cholesterol absorption inhibitors. There's only one drug currently in this class of medications, um, and it's called Zetia. This medication actually works in your intestine to stop you from absorbing the cholesterol from the food that you eat. Um, however, I do want to emphasize that this medication does not need to be taken with food. It's taken once daily. You can take it in the morning or the evening, whichever is more convenient for you. And it will work throughout the day to decrease the amount of cholesterol that you absorb from the food that you eat. Um, oftentimes, this medication is combined with one of the statin drugs, such as Lipitor or Zocor, um, because together these medications work very well at decreasing the LDL cholesterol. Um, some of you might be familiar with the medication called Vitorin, which is actually a combination of Zocor and this drug Zetia. Um, that actually has been proven very well to um, decrease the LDL cholesterol. So this medication doesn't work real well on its own? No, it still does. It does to an extent. But for a patient who has a very high LDL cholesterol level, if, if the physician isn't seeing that they're not um, getting their goals reached, for example, their LDL is not below. This would be better not messing with your liver? 
This one actually still does mess with your liver. Oh, does it? Yes. Okay. A majority of the only ones on here that actually do not mess with your liver are the bile acid sequestrants, the ones that are like the colistid, the bile acid binders I have on there. Yeah, those are the only ones that don't, you don't need to have your liver function monitored when you're taking them. But this medication is oftentimes used, oftentimes used alone for patients who can't tolerate. Some patients can't tolerate the statin class of medications. Oh, okay. So, but it really is decided on an individual patient basis. Yes. Does it inhibit uh, HDL uh, intake as well, uh, or, or does it just uh, inhibit the LDL? Like the HDL, you would actually want that one to increase. Exactly. So um, that one. Blocks cholesterol intake from the food. Does it block the HDL as well as the LDL? No. The HDL is actually made um, within your liver, so, oh, okay. so um, I mean, you still can get HDL from foods, but um, it's not going to block the it's going to block the absorption of cholesterol altogether. But um, this medication actually can slightly increase your HDL, like the other class of medications. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Um, side effects of Zetia include, um, like the statins, it's kind of similar to uh, the side effects of the statins, um, include headache, abdominal pain, and diarrhea. Um, the next class, and actually the last uh, drug that I'm going to discuss today, is fish oil. Um, this medication or particular supplements are used to decrease triglycerides. Um, there's a prescription product available called Omicor, and then there's also a supplement available um, over the counter. And I want to take time right now to, to kind of discuss the difference between the prescription product and the supplement product. Um, Omicor goes, is FDA approved, mean, meaning that it goes through FDA testing to make sure that it's safe and effective for you to use. Um, if you take the omega-3 uh, supplement over the counter, I can't say here as a pharmacist and guarantee to you that that's going to decrease your triglycerides. So it doesn't go through that rigorous testing that Omicor goes through. Also, if, you have a, if you're looking at a supplement in the store and you look on the label and it says that there's 1,000 milligrams in each capsule, I can't guarantee that that's in there. The FDA hasn't tested it to make sure that that's in there. There could only be 200 milligrams. There could be 500 milligrams. So that's the main difference between the prescription product and the supplement product. Um, because of that and because Omicor goes through all that rigorous testing, it is quite a bit more expensive. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to mention here was that actually um, Omicor has a new name. I don't know if anybody here is on it, but it's now um, being called Lovaza. And the reason for that is because the Omicor name was being confused with other uh, medications. So it's kind of a safety thing. So um, I, that's the one thing to be aware of. Question. Mm -hmm. um, the Omicor, do you know what kind of fish it's from since we have an issue with fish allergies? Um, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's shellfish. It's, it's the typical fish you see for fattier fish, but I don't know in particular if they use like a higher concentration of certain... Salmon. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, definitely does come from salmon. It's something we might be able to find out, though. Um, we want to take a look into the pack. Question. Mm -hmm. Yes? If you're buying an over-the-counter fish oil, is it important to take a look whether it's mercury-free or not? Yeah, that'd be something important. That's something important to look at. Um, some of the older products don't have the mercury-free um, label on them. Um, the newer products do. Um, in my opinion, I would recommend going for the mercury-free product because we know mer what mercury can do. It's something we definitely don't want in our bodies. So that would be something that I would look for. The one I'm taking but before I took it, I called the corporate office to ask them what it was mercury-free or not. Because I couldn't quite tell from the label. Did they answer your question? Or did they? Mm -hmm. Good. Just hold this. I've had hit or miss results from people who told us what I was curious to see. That's the thing with taking the supplement. Um, that since they're not regulated by the FDA, they're not as closely monitored, um, that we don't know exactly. I mean, they're not unsafe. They wouldn't be able to be out as a food if they were unsafe, but um, you're taking more of a risk when you go for a supplement. I don't want to completely bash them, but I can't never make a guaranteed recommendation on that, on a supplement like fish oil, because I, I don't want to say, I would never lie to a patient and say, well, this is going to decrease your triglycerides when it really isn't. So. No, some people do. I know a lot of people that use it, but that's, that's your choice, and you have the freedom to do that. Um, many patients have uh, abnormal cholesterol levels, um, not only with their LDL, but maybe with their triglycerides, or maybe one medication. Um, for example, Zocor isn't working good enough to eat, decrease your LDL cholesterol, so you need to go on two medications. 
So there are um, some prescription products that are available, actually available that have a combination of two uh, cholesterol uh, medications within them. I discussed Vitorin earlier. Um, other ones include Avigor, A Avicor and then uh, Pravacard, PAC. Actually just has a statin in it, but it also has aspirin in it because aspirin, um, I don't know if any of you are taking a daily aspirin. aspirin. Taking a daily aspirin has been proven to decrease your risk of heart disease. So that's the main reason why. So this is just to give you an idea that um, we really are working to make it easier for you to take medications. So in this case, you only have to take one pill instead of two. That concludes my portion of the presentation. Melissa is now going to discuss a low cholesterol diet. Um, I'd be happy to answer any more questions that you might have at the conclusion of her presentation. Thank you very much, Emily. Great questions. I wanted to start with saying that. Um, continue to ask questions as we go along through the uh, diet portion of the slideshow. My name is Melissa. I am the dietitian with the Faculty and Staff Wellness Program. I have been the dietitian with the Wellness Program for about a year now. It's very nice to see some familiar faces in this room, some people that I've worked with in the past or have come to presentations in the past. So. Hopefully that means you're getting good information and valuable information and you want to keep learning more. That's wonderful. We're going to start off talking about something called therapeutic lifestyle changes. I want to point out that this is actually guidelines and recommendations that are put together by the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. If you actually look back through Emily's references, she has actually referenced their website as part of her information as well. So again, back to you know, government regulation, FDA regulation of medications, they also come up with similar guidelines in terms of dietary factors for what we should do to try to help ourselves nutritionally with the diet. We're actually going to go through each one of these topics here on this slide and talk about them a little further. Starting with the saturated fat content of the diet. Generally, it, it says right here where these saturated fat items come from. These are the bad guys. These are the guys that we want to stay away from. You can eat some of these foods. It's not a problem. What's very important when you do eat these foods is that you monitor the portion sizes of them. The portion sizes of higher saturated fat foods are much smaller than the portion size of something I could get as a lower saturated fat product. Say I want to actually choose regular butter to eat on my toast instead of margarine because I want to maybe stay away from the margarines. I could use a tablespoon of margarine on my toast or I could use a teaspoon of butter. So the portion size is very important to look at. Again, other items that are listed are, are on this slide. I want to talk a little further about some meat cuts that we want to stay away from. Depending on the cut of meat depends on the fat content of the meat. So some higher fat cuts of meat include T-bone, ribs, regular hamburgers, salami, bologna, hot dogs, other things, you know, obviously fried meats, fried poultries, and fried fish are all going to be things that are higher in saturated fat content. Some alternatives to butter we've talked about a little bit would be something like a margarine or a reduced fat or whipped or something like a soft liquid type margarine. Talk about maybe a little bit of oils. Some things that you would want to choose as an option to an oil would be an olive oil, a peanut oil if you don't have an allergy, sunflower oils, Canola oils are all unsaturated fat choices. And those are all heart healthy choices to make in terms of oil. We talked about a, a substitute for, I don't know, butter or margarine or something. We talked about liquids, things like what's that stuff called? Um, smart poisons or something. The smart balance? Smart balance, yeah. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. And wait, yeah. Thanks for the great example. And we'll talk a little, we're going to continue to talk a little bit more about margarines. Um, as time goes on. Yes, go ahead. No, I can give it again if you would like. Can you borrow one? I could email. Oh, I won't say that. Okay, very good. At the end, there's email contact, so we can. T bone and ribs. 
<laughs> That's why you didn't hear that point. Olive oil, peanut oil, sunflower oil, canola oil. Moving on, let's talk about trans fats a little bit. Trans fat is currently the buzzword in the market. I'm sure you've heard lots about it. You know, places are going trans fat free. They're not using products that contain trans fats in their oils. I want to challenge that step one, one further and say that that's great. Maybe McDonald's is not going to use trans, or they're going to use a trans fat free oil to fry their french fries in. So what have I benefited from? I'm still eating a fried food product. <laughs> Something to think about. We have to take it the next step. Talks about the process of trans fat. Trans fat is actually a man-made substance. It produces a product that is more shelf stable. It turns the product into a saturated fat. Um, items to limit are all listed here. Um, other things, you know, donuts, pies, cakes, cookies, chips, cheese puffs, all those really good tasting things that really aren't so good for us. Um, what we want to look at in terms of trans fat, why is it bad? Trans fats actually lower your good cholesterol. They lower your HDL while at the same time they increase your bad cholesterol. They increase your LDL. That's why they're something we want to avoid. Let me talk a little bit about alternatives to use. Did I, I put stick margarine on this list. So if we look back to the saturated fat list, items we want to limit is butter. On the trans fat list, items we want to limit is stick margarine. So let's compare three products. A stick of butter, a stick of margarine, and a tub of margarine. The stick of butter, what's in it? Saturated fat. That's what holds that stick of butter together. When we make a stick of margarine, margarine has eliminated the saturated fat. Okay, so now margarine is a better choice in terms of saturated fat than butter. But my stick of margarine, what holds it together? But the trans fats. So still, not the best option. So let's take it one step further and look at our third product, the tub of margarine. What holds the tub of margarine together? but the tub that it is contained in. So it's margarine, it doesn't have the saturated fat like butter, and it's in a tub so it doesn't have this, the trans fat like the stick of margarine. So that's where, oh, hold on just a second, that's where we want to use the light margarines or a very oil-based margarine that the container will hold it together. Yes, go ahead. No. It's each individual. You know, a, a light mar one specific brand, no. As long as it's light, as long as it's in a tub, and as long as it's using the recommended oils, an olive oil, a canola oil, a sunflower oil, margarine. Yes, ma'am. It still contains the butter, which still contains the saturated fat. So I would be looking for a different product. Because is it the spreadable butter? Yeah, and it, like, if it's pushed out for a few minutes, it gets it, It's a better option than straight butter. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. There is an olive oil margarine. Olive oil, yes, olive oil margarines, exactly. It's a, a tub margarine that uses the allowed or the suggested oils. Let's talk about cholesterol a little bit. Yes, ma'am. Yes. On the food. The label can say there are label regula regulations uh, set forth by the government as to what things on the food label can say. If a label says zero grams of trans fat, it can contain per serving up to a half a gram of trans fat. How much trans fat should I have a day? No more than two grams. 
So say I eat a product that says on the label zero grams of trans fat, but in reality that has 0.5 grams per serving because it still meets the requirements and I eat four servings of that product, there's my two grams of trans fat right there. How do I combat that? What is trans fat? Trans fat comes from partially hydrogenated oils. So therefore I look at the, the numbers on the food label and I take it one step further and I read the ingredients. If there is a partially hydrogenated oil listed as one of my ingredients, then there's trans fats in that product. Very good question. Very correct question. Another marketing ploy is there are products out on the market that never contain trans fats in the first place, and now the label says zero grams of trans fat because that's what we're looking for. Same thing happened years ago with carbs and net carbs. Products that never contain carbohydrates in the first place now said zero grams carbs per serving because that's what we were looking for. Talking about cholesterol, what's my goal? Let's talk a little more about the food label. Cholesterol is one of those items listed on the food label. The therapeutic lifestyle change goal is less than 200 milligrams of cholesterol a day. The American Heart Association recommendation is less than 300 milligrams of cholesterol a day. So we, we want to look at those ranges. Let's use a reference food for cholesterol. One egg yolk contains approximately 212 milligrams of cholesterol in one egg yolk alone. <laughs> kind of put that into perspective for you. I heard that one setting in pretty hard. So it goes on to talk about items we want to avoid. Something you might consider interesting on this slide, we've talked about fish oil. What's healthy fish? What's not? Shrimp, lobster, and crab are higher in cholesterol. Shellfish is higher in cholesterol than those cold water oily fishes. So those are things we want to choose less frequently. The tastier ones, again, again. You're right, it is not. There is no cholesterol located in the whites of the eggs. So are you supposed to eat egg beaters or just ask for egg whites? You can do either. You can do either, either way. We will, I think I talk, I don't know if I talk about cheese, but I can, yes, it's made with 2% milk. If it says on the label it's made with 2% milk, it's a healthier choice. If it says made with skim milk or part skim milk, like a mozzarella cheese, it's a healthier choice than a label that doesn't say, because if it doesn't say on the label, then it's made with whole milk. What's the difference but the fat content? Very good question. Let's talk a little bit more about omega-3 fats, and we'll talk a little bit more about fish. Since I told you the fish that might not be so good is the, is the shellfish, then I better tell you the fish options that are good for you. They might help to reduce your, your risk of heart disease. They actually are good for helping to reduce your risk. What they do is they increase your HDL, which is your good cholesterol. That's what the goal is here. We've talked about it before in terms of the ratio. This is something that can lower my LDL and increase my HDL, and that's what I want to happen. The goal is to eat fish twice a week, two to three times a week. Okay, that's the goal. Very good if you're a fish eater. Very challenging if you're not. And not fried, thank you, very good. Very good. The fish, the, the uh, uh, crispy fish sandwich doesn't count. Doesn't count. You're exactly right. Um, talks about good sources, the salmon, the tuna, the mackerel. Other sources that aren't fish, walnuts, canola oil, soybean oil, and flaxseed oil. I want to point out something about the flaxseed oil. Make sure it is flaxseed oil 
or ground flax seed. Our body cannot, it cannot digest the oil from whole flax seeds. Those whole flax seeds will pass through your body unchanged. So if I'm looking for the beneficial effect, the omega-3 fatty acid from something containing flax, it needs to be the oil or it needs to be the ground seeds. Yes? Walnuts, almonds, um, pecans, all are very similar, yes. One more thing I want to, again, want to take that one step further in the recommendation of nuts, that they're not roasted, they're not salted, they're not candied, that they're the plain, natural nut. Is that like raw? raw yes, almonds? yes, exactly, raw almonds. Mm, not quite as good. Pistachios and peanuts, not quite as good. Still a beneficial fat, but just not as beneficial as the almonds, the walnuts, or the pecans. And a pecan pie doesn't count. <laughs> you might be getting your nuts, but it doesn't count. Let's talk a little bit more globally here. Let's go back to total fat intake. You know, we've talked about it a little bit on the food label. It says total fat, it says saturated fat, it says trans fat. It also says cholesterol. Total fat should be 25 to 35% of your calories. How many of you think that sounds like a lot? Sound like a lot? It's not as much as you think it is. But might be a little bit surprisingly more than what's, what you thought necessary. Like the cholesterol, it's very important for our body functions. We need it. We have fat-soluble vitamins. Very important to help digest those into our body. Once to, again, we, I, no, we, can, we can graze the top of things, but we always need to look one step further. This fat recommendation also includes those heart-healthy fats. So it includes total fat, be it a good fat or a bad fat. Moderation is the key. You can get too much of a good thing. So I'll give you a numerical example here. S say someone needs 2,000 calories a day, nice round number. So that person's fat intake should be between 50 to 75 grams of fat a day. Moving on, next point, fiber, very good thing to have. The goal is 20 to 30 grams a day. Who eats 30 grams of fiber a day? Who tries? Very good. Who knows that 30 grams of fiber a day is a challenge? Thank you, very good. It's very challenging, very challenging. Where do we get fiber? Fruits, vegetables, whole grains, dried beans, oh, things like pinto beans, kidney beans, red beans, are all black beans, all good sources of fiber. Why is fiber so important? It helps to increase your HDL cholesterol. That's the good one. That's the one we want to bump up. There are actually two different types of fiber. There's soluble fiber and insoluble fiber. And it's listed right here that the soluble fiber can help to lower that bad cholesterol. And the insoluble fiber helps to decrease our risk of cardiovascular disease overall. Listed in the sources for each as well. As a side note, I want to encourage that you slowly increase the fiber content of your diet. And that if you increase the fiber content of your diet, you must also increase the fluid content of your diet to prevent the GI side effects will be the nice way to put that over lunch. If you don't want to be constipated, if you don't want to have a lot of side effects from gas, you need to do this slowly and you need to make sure you add plenty of fluid. It's, it, it means the dried beans, but the dried beans that we're going to cook. So yes, you can use the canned and you can use them cooked. Yes, that's just that's the classification for those beans. Right, right. If you had to cook them yourself, no, no. Yes, ma'am. 
There is. My first concern is that we get fiber to begin with. I like to be reasonable there. The ratio we're still working on. The exact ratio. My, my emphasis, if, if I was concerned about that, was that I was just choosing a good variety of overall products. Well, then I avoid lots of good things. Well, I was tasting things. No. There's a difference between good tasting and good for me sometimes, not always. No. It is something to think about, but it's something that you still want to have a variety of in your diet. So. Yes, ma'am. Three criteria for choosing bread. First criteria is that the food label says 100% whole wheat on the package. Second criteria is that the, it has three grams of fiber per slice. And the third criteria is that the first ingredient is whole wheat flour. If it doesn't meet those three criteria, it is not whole wheat bread. You're welcome. Very good what question. I, I don't want to promote any one brand over another. You know, kind of like the margarine. It's what works best for you. Very good question. Take that, those three criteria to the store and read the food label. Whole grain bread is not going to say 100% whole wheat. Whole grain or multi-grain or nine grain or whatever likely does not meet all of those criteria. Where it lacks in that criteria is the first ingredient is usually enriched wheat flour. Back to, we, we talked a little bit about marketing. If 100% whole wheat, if one whole wheat is good for me, then 12 grains should be a lot better than one. Whole bran, whole, yes, yes, yes. It doesn't just have to be whole wheat. If it's 100% whole bran or whatever else you're looking at, whole oats, whatever, yes, very good. That would be... That, yeah, that's a, it's an individual basis. That way, I, I, that's why I can't really say one one label over another. It's an individual basis. That would be an individual question that I would personally ask them. I saw another hand. Yes, ma'am. Same. It's going to go back to everything in moderation. If it's something that she eats, okay, then maybe she needs to adjust the rest of her diet accordingly. You know, she shouldn't have probably peanut butter on, on her wheat bread and a fried fish sandwich for lunch and french fries for dinner. You know, it's going to be a moderation. When you look for what's the difference between the peanut butter and the liquid oil and the peanut butter without the liquid oil, it's the hydrogenation process, which is the trans fat. Again, it it's makes an emulsification when, say, Jif makes my peanut butter that I don't have to stir it. Something that's a natural peanut butter that it is not hydrogenated is going to have the oil separated out of the top. So then I get to mix up the oil myself. I can pour off some of that oil. If I pour it all off, I'm going to be left with a brick. And it's not going to be something I'm going to be able to eat. But I can pour off some of that oil to reduce the fat content myself. Again, back to a moderation type thing. Talking a little bit about meat alternatives, and I'm also going to give you some leaner cuts of, of meat to choose. Meats and cheeses can be high in saturated fat. We've already talked about cheese options, using 2% milk fat cheese, using part skim milk fat cheese. We've talked about the high fat cuts of meat. 
Um, using a soy burger as an alternative to a hamburger can help to decrease your saturated fat intake. Don't want to use meat alternatives. What are the leaner cuts of meat? The loin cuts, the leg cuts, the round cuts, and also extra lean hamburgers. Who's going to ask about ground turkey? Thank you. Beach to it. What do you want to look for in ground turkey? You want to still make sure that the ground turkey says lean or extra lean on the ground turkey. Otherwise, they've ground up the dark meat and the skin. So in reality, some ground turkey contains a higher fat content than extra lean ground beef. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. It's, it's similar. Yeah, I've got some head shaking. It's similar. It's an individual taste thing. <laughs> Textures, it's, yeah. Yeah. Same thing, same thing with using a soy product. You know, they've got soy crumbles. They've got, you know, tofu, things like that. You're going to see a texture difference. You're going to see a taste change. It's an individual basis. It's an everything in moderation. Let's talk about weight loss and exercise because that is also very important to helping control your cholesterol. One of the great things to help control your cholesterol is just by losing weight. How am I going to lose weight? I'm going to maybe exercise a little bit more, also helping to decrease my cholesterol. Exercise itself helps to decrease your LDL bad cholesterol. I also want to point out that these are lifestyle changes we're talking about. We're not talking about a diet. I didn't call this a low cholesterol diet. It's the therapeutic lifestyle changes. This is not something I'm going to go on for six months, reduce my cholesterol, get it rechecked and say I'm fine. I reduce my cholesterol and go back to my old ways. Because when I go back to my old ways, my cholesterol is going to bump back up and I'm going to get into that vicious cycle again. Same thing with weight loss and exercise. We want to maintain what we're doing. Very important, and I know that it's been said multiple times, to speak with your health care team to come up with an exercise plan, to come up with a weight loss plan, to talk about your medication. This is a team effort. You don't just go visit the physician and get your medication. You also talk to the, the pharmacist, and you also talk with the dietitian and the physical therapist. Use your team members as a team. They're not each individual players in your life, in your health. One other thing I want to point out is that I want to encourage that you take care to avoid just adding extra calories to what you've already done. I've worked with some people in the past who their cholesterol has been high and somewhere down the line someone has encouraged that, well, to help your cholesterol just eat almonds, walnuts, and pecans. So if I change nothing in my diet but I've added two handfuls of almonds, walnuts, and pecans at bedtime, I've gained weight. Why did I gain weight? I'm doing things that are better for myself. I didn't adjust and I didn't account for those calories previous in my day. I've just added them to what I've already done. It becomes a little bit challenging. Yes, go ahead. I agree. That's where the Ohio State University Faculty and Staff Wellness Program comes in. With your insurance here at Ohio State, you can get four covered visits with a registered dietitian each and every year. I am one of those visits. I will promise you that I am booking into November because I only see patients one day a week at University Health Connection. But with a referral, from your primary care physician who only had a couple nutrition classes when they were in school, they can easily write a referral for you. You can see the dietitians at the University Hospital Clinic three times a year at 100%
coverage from your insurance. Again, it's all part of using the team, using your team of experts. No, I'm talking about OSU insurance. Correct. Yes. Correct. Yes. I work with OSU expansion, and I'm in part of a team of educators. I teach the basic administration to Latinos here in Columbus. So my co-workers, they are Americans, and Somalians, and Asians. We do the same, and we cover populations that are low income, very good, thank okay. you. Very good. The information is out there. She was OSU Extension is helping to teach the lower income population about this information and this knowledge to help. Very good, thank you. I just have one more slide here. I know everyone's, we're kind of running on time. Everyone's get back to work. I, I heard it discussed earlier and I think she maybe had left in terms of, I, I started taking my medication, my cholesterol dropped dramatically as my physician going to take me off of my medication. Could be something to challenge. You might be able to do it with diet, but it is a proven fact that these medications might help us in more ways than just lowering our cholesterol. But I do want to point out that if you are someone who is taking a cholesterol-lowering medication, do not put the diet by the wayside. Also use that diet to help you. I'm sorry, the lifestyle to help you. The lower cholesterol lifestyle to help you, to help that medication work. Maybe you'll never be taken off that medication, but we might be able to decrease the dose of the medication that you're taking. This lifestyle can never hurt you. It can always help. Yes, ma'am. as long, like as you said, as long, but for the most part, there's nothing but good things coming out of it. And the thing is, even if there are risks with the medication, the benefits of them really outweigh the risks associated the with them. The research is being done. Is it done by the companies or gold standard of research? It, it can be done by the It is done by the companies, but there are other people studying. Um, there's physicians within right. their own practice studying the medications that aren't influenced by the drug companies. They Correct. want to know for the benefit of their patients. Correct. And also the FDA has to approve the medication. There's a reason I'm asking is because I did have low, uh, high cholesterol about three years ago mm -hmm. and I immediately changed a lot of what I was eating and I went back to fairly rigorous exercise and lowered it within six months. But the first thing the doctor wanted to know is could he put me on a drug? Mm -hmm. He well, didn't ask, he didn't that's even discuss the guidelines actually say that before you go on a cholesterol-lowering medication, unless you have a very, very high risk of developing heart disease, they're supposed to recommend these therapeutic life lifestyle changes for six weeks to see how you can do on your own without the medication. So even, even as a pharmacist, I don't agree. Yeah. And that's the point. We talked about the team. We talked about the pharmacist. We talked about the nutrition. We talked about the physician. Who's the most important team member in your personal health care but yourself? At that point in time, you have the option to speak up and say, give me six months. I want to try to do this with diet and exercise. I promise to come back. I'll get it rechecked. If it's six months, I haven't done anything. If it's six, mo or six months, it's gone up, then let's talk. Let's go on. If I've done these therapeutic lifestyle changes and I haven't affected it enough, let's go to the next step. Agree? Agree. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. You're going to eat ice cream. What's the kind of ice cream?
<laughs> Reduced fat ice cream and portion controlled. Reduced fat ice cream or a, a reduced fat yogurt and portion controlled. Thank you very much. Sorry we ran a little late. Yes, ma'am. About what? 